Welcome to Sanctified in Truth with Michael York, a ministry of the Fairview Baptist Church in Ashland, Kentucky. Sanctified in Truth is a daily podcast for followers of Christ who desire to imitate Him and to dedicate ourselves fully to the plans God has for us by deepening our love and understanding of God's Word. Today's episode of Sanctified in Truth is going to be discussing Solomon's prayer of dedication at the temple as recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. As always, I want to encourage you to read the passage before you listen to the podcast. 2 Chronicles 6 records Solomon's prayer of dedication as the temple is open for worship. However, the prayer is itself a lesson about prayer. The temple was built as a permanent structure for people to come to meet with God. Previously, they had had a tent of meeting and a tabernacle But now this was a permanent place where humanity could come to meet with God. It would be, as Isaiah calls it, a house of prayer. And Solomon's prayer is not the celebration of a building. It's rejoicing in the communion with God that would be made possible. In some ways, the purpose of the temple mirrors the purpose of prayer. One of the most astounding features of this prayer is how Solomon takes his prayer on such an unexpected path. One might expect that Solomon's prayer would express thanks for the provision of the temple and then move into an optimism about the future. In essence, he might say something like, Thank you, Lord, you've given us this temple to meet with you. God, we know this is going to fix so many of the problems that ail us. But that's not what the prayer is. Instead of optimism, the prayer immediately moves from an expression of thanks for the temple to a series of situations in which things would not go well and the temple would be needed. Solomon speaks of people coming to the temple to seek forgiveness, to ask for help in the face of divine punishment, to seek guidance for a way out of the mess that they themselves have created. Not only that, Solomon explicitly mentions the temple being a place of prayer for the Gentiles, not just the Jews, something that seems to have been forgotten by the time of the New Testament. What's so astounding about this prayer is that Solomon realized that God in the temple provides an opportunity for people to meet with him for those who need it. Meeting with God is not just for the good or for those who have everything figured out. And prayer is not just for those who are good or have everything figured out. Prayer is for those who need God. Prayer is not just for the so-called insiders and the religious but for anyone who fears God and desires to honor Him regardless of their background or history. Sometimes we feel as if we need to get to a certain place in our relationship with God before we're ever able to meet with Him. But there's no state in which we can ever muster a worthiness to meet with God. It's impossible. What God looks for in prayer is not a worthy person to address Him, but a humble heart that seeks Him. If prayer's about my worth then there's no worship. It's me doing what I can to be heard. But when I come before God in humility and need, that's where worship begins. To know that I have no business in the presence of God, but that He loves me so much and He wants fellowship with me so much that He made it possible for me to approach Him. Well, that's when I worship. As we seek to think through the meaning, implications, and applications of this passage, we want to ask ourselves our three basic questions. First, what does this passage call me to think and praise God about regarding His character or actions? 
the prayer begins with a reminder of God's immenseness. God was the God who resided in the cloud at Sinai. He was the one of whom the people were afraid of and could not approach or even touch the mountain on which he resided. But now this God has come near. Humanity did not approach God. God approached them and invited them to come near. This is an important distinction. God did not change because God does not change. First with the tabernacle and now with the temple, God has invited people into his presence. Because God is holy, we cannot approach him casually. But because God has graciously invited us into his presence, we approach him confidently. This is the tension we have in prayer. Today we thank God that the God of the cosmos has come near to us in prayer to demonstrate his personal affection and care for us. The second question we want to ask is, what do I need to pray for my own heart and life? This prayer is recorded in two places. The first place it appears is in 1 Kings chapter 8. The chronicler, the one who wrote this in 2 Chronicles 6, stays very close to his source in the book of Kings, but there is a change in the ending of the prayer that reflects the situation of the day in which the book of Chronicles is written. In 1 Kings, the prayer closes with an appeal to Moses, but here the focus is on the promise to David that one from his line would be a king forever. The book of Chronicles was written in a time of exile and a weak time for the nation. The building of the temple was a fulfillment of a promise that was made long before the building was built. And the chronicler is pointing to a promise that had yet to be fulfilled. But he was encouraging people to pray expectantly for the day of its realization. As we pray, we pray today on the foundation of God's promises, those fulfilled and those not yet fulfilled. And we look forward with confident joy to the day when all those promises that as of now are not yet fulfilled will one day be complete. The third question we want to ask is, what does this passage teach me to pray? Over and over in this prayer, Solomon speaks of praying toward the temple and acknowledging the name of God. In praying toward the temple, it was a way that their bodily posture reflected an inclination of their heart. That by praying toward the temple, they were acknowledging God as the one in whom they trusted, and by acknowledging His name, they were confessing it was His character and faithfulness to His covenant it was on that basis that they approached him. These are not rules for prayer. They're suggestions. In the same way that we may bow our heads as a sign of reverence, a way that our posture demonstrates the posture of our heart, we don't have to bow our heads to pray. Of course, not. there are times when we may pray it would be dangerous or impractical to bow our heads. Sometimes when we pray, we may get on our face. Sometimes we may look up to the heaven with hands outstretched. The idea is that when we pray to God, it's never casual. In that moment, it is the most important thing we're doing. And as we are able, we may enlist our whole bodies in the act of worship. We pray in the name of Jesus, not as a rule, but as an acknowledgement that the perfect Son of God has made it possible for us to approach our Father in prayer. We recognize that as we pray by His grace and for His glory. And we'll have more on praying on the name of Jesus later this season. But for now, every time we say in the name of Jesus, what we're doing is we're acknowledging that the only 
way we can come into the presence of God is at the bidding of Christ himself. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode of Sanctified in Truth. Join us tomorrow as we'll discuss Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2. May everything you say and everything you do today seek to honor God. Whatever you do, take comfort and know that Jesus has already prayed for you, that you would be sanctified in truth. Today, as we close, I want to close with a prayer by the Dutch philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. He writes, Father in heaven, what are we without you? What is all that we know, vast accumulation though it be, but a chipped fragment if we do not know you? What is all our striving? Could it ever encompass a world but a half-finished work if we do not know you? You, the one who is one thing and who is all. So may you give to the intellect wisdom to comprehend that one thing, to the heart sincerity to receive this and this only, to the will purity that wills only one thing. In prosperity may you grant perseverance to will one thing, amid distraction collectedness to will one thing, in suffering patience to will one thing. You that gives both the beginning and the completion, may you early at the dawn of the day give to this Give to the young the resolution to will one thing. As the day wanes, may you give to the old a renewed remembrance of that first resolution, that the first may be like the last, and the last like the first, in possession of a life that has willed only one thing, to know God. Amen. Amen.